You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Usually I start off uh, with, you know, the message, and then we go into, you know, I'll finish the message up, and then I have an invitation. I'm going to start with an invitation tonight. And for all the guilty that would please come to the altar, I would appreciate that. Does anybody know what this is? This is an abomination. That's exactly what this thing is. I'm telling you what. I've got dozens of these things. I have had dozens of these things. I've stomped them. I've burnt them. Yeah. Okay. I know the guilty party too. Backsliders, back rowers. Yeah. Yeah. At least I can. I know the trail of history. How to how to follow that. Okay. Be opening your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Joshua for the next several weeks on um, Sunday nights. I was looking back. I know I've done a series in the book of Joshua. And I thought, man, that's just been a few years ago, wasn't it? It was 2009. <laughs> so let's see, eight and nine, ten years, nine years or so ago. So um, every time I read the book of Joshua, I want to preach it. I, every time I read something out of the book of Joshua... All those battles in there and how God used that man. and It's just exciting to me. My, my life's verse is in chapter 1, verse 9. Um, it's just uh, one of my favorite books in the Bible. Uh, one of, oh, about 66 of them. I, I, some of my favorites that I like. <laughs> so, hey, before I get into that and, and uh, share the message tonight, I want to remind you what I shared with you this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had, uh, I had mentioned to you about a special Easter offering, and um, I don't think it's been very often that we've done a special Easter offering. I, I know I've made mention of maybe the special Thanksgiving offering and maybe a Christmas offering, things like that. But I want to tell you what I'd love for our church to get a part of and do. This year is the 20th anniversary for Heartland Baptist Bible College being at uh, Oklahoma City in the site where they're at. And... Um, Every year they have a May fellowship and they raise so much money for um, ongoing expenses there for sure. But guys, here's what's really important for me and critical for me where I'd like to, I, I've been, had the privilege the last several years being on the board down there and working with them and seeing how things work and trying to be a part in helping make decisions. They're doing everything they possibly can to keep the tuition for the students down um, I, I think I mentioned this morning, I think that the students only have to pay at this point about 52% of what would normally be um, their full tuition down there. Otherwise, the rest of it comes in through some other means plus what is given in a um, May offering. This year, since it's their 20th year, they're shooting for a, a, a banner offering. Um, a couple years ago, they thought, wouldn't it be neat on our 20th anniversary to raise a million dollars? And then two years ago, I think it was two years ago, a million dollars came in on the, in the May offering. And they were able to get so many things that were so lacking on the, on the campus and on, 
Uh, if you just knew the history about the campus, when they got to it and what it was like when they got there and all the, all the repairs and everything, the multi-thousands and thousands of dollars had to be poured into it. It was an old college that uh, had been a, somewhat abandoned and people had gotten into it and broken things up and everything. And so they've spent mu- much money just to get it operational, but ha- there's been a lot of things lacking. And so with that big offering, they were able to do so much. They were going to have to raise tuition. But with the big offering that came in, they didn't have to raise the tuition. And so, uh, praise the Lord, that was, that was a real blessing. And it's churches like this one here around the country that uh, helps raise funds that will help keep the, fun, the um, tuition down for the students to make it affordable. And without going into a, a, a long uh, talk about what's happening in America with Bible colleges... Uh, I I would just tell you that it is a miracle that uh, some of the small colleges like Heartland and others that we could mention are are still going today. And they are able to do so because, I'll just say it again, churches like ours have been able to have a a real part in a a May offering. I'd like to challenge our church, if you would mind uh, taking your Easter uh, offering envelope in your in your giving packet, and if you don't use the packets, if you can take an offering envelope in front of you, and uh, could we as a church just see what we could do, uh, and by way of a, a big offering, I'd, I'd love for us to have a part in that and see what our church could do, and uh, to try to be a real blessing. We've got several students down there already, and uh, would love to send some more that way, and have some uh, some training for them as well. So I'm just asking you, please consider. Uh, getting involved in this and having a part in the May Fellowship offering as, as our church, okay? Now, into the book of Joshua, if you will find your place there. I'm only going to read through the first seven verses, and I'm only going to preach from the first two tonight. So notice here, uh, the Bible gives a very clear distinction of where we're at in, this, in the uh, history of things. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... It came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I, excuse me, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites. And by the way, there were seven nations on the other side, guys. And he just uses the name Hittites to kind of be a category for all of them. Uh, And all the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not, boy, what a blessing and what a promise of God. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Wow, I got that highlighted and I say amen every time I read that. I love the promises of God. So he tells him to be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law 
which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And let's pause there and we'll pray again. Father, I thank you for the privilege to preach from this book again and for giving me the liberty to do so. I pray that you'll open my heart uh, once again to what will be being said here tonight and may the thoughts be able to be expressed. God, give us an uh, attentive hearts here. May, uh, may everyone listen attentively and may I be able to preach with the anointing of God. And I just would thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now verse 1 again. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass. In other words, uh, God was moving his process and his plan along. That the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister. God very clearly, specifically spoke to this man, whether it was verbally, audibly, I don't know. But without doubt, God spoke to that man's heart and said, I have a job for you. I know you've been following Moses. I know you've watched everything that he has done. And you've been a faithful servant to this great man, Moses. Anything that was asked of you to be done, there was no question about it. You just went and did immediately what was told to do. You did it with great courage and strength. And now my servant Moses has been moved out of the way. And it is now a natural progression, Joshua. It would be obvious that I would call you. And I am moving you into that position of godly leadership. I would just say this tonight. We are in a dearth. We're in a drought for godly leaders in America. And used to, you know, you could go back 20-some years or so, you, even in politics you could find a man that was, would stand for the things of God. And I know we have a few of them. I believe our, for sure our vice president is a, a man that has a very clear testimony of knowing Christ as Savior and wants to lead this country in a godly way. But um, he's in the minority without doubt. And we, we need men that know how to lead in a godly way. I, I could even say just know how to lead, uh, to give direction, to, to make sure that you're leading in a way that you look behind you and find out, well, people are following me after all. It's one thing to take off in a direction and turn around. Nobody's following you. That's not leadership. You've got a lot of initiative and you've got a lot of desire A lot of energy, but that does not always indicate that you know what it means to be a leader. God has placed what I would say probably the best military leader in the Bible in this position to lead some, I don't know where they're at in numbers now, it would be hard to know with all those who have died in the wilderness and so forth, but they started off with numbers that I've heard estimated between two and uh, three million people took off. And here's this, well, now he's not such a young man now. He's had 40 years added to his life, whatever he was when he first got started. And God calls this man, Joshua, to be the leader of God's people. Are you familiar with the terms or the term point man? Would anybody know what I mean in a military sense if I said, uh, you're going to be the point man on this expedition? So it's obvious, isn't it? If if it was an arrow, you know what the point of an arrow is? It's the tip of the arrow. It's what goes out before everything else. And when they would send a troop of men out 
oh, to, uh, to do an expedition, to scout and see uh, where the enemy was and try to, you know, maybe move on into new territory that was part of their, potentially part of their job or whatever it was. One man would stand out in the front and he'd be the tip of the arrow and that man would be what they would call the point man. He'd be several steps ahead of everybody else. It was his job to listen as intently as he could, to have his eyes looking in places where normal men would not think to look. Uh, He was a man that everybody had confidence in and if the point man was doing fine, then apparently we would be doing fine and that it it lent a sense of uh, confidence to the rest of the men. Israel needed a point man. Israel needed a man that would go out before them and would go on across the Jordan River and head on into a land where uh, they were just waiting on them to step into their territory to try to wipe them out. And they, they needed a man that could lead that army, not just with strong military might and wisdom, but a man that knew how to trust in God. And God had been preparing that man all those, at least those 40 years, for sure. To be able to step up and when God would take Moses and set him off to the side, then he could set Joshua in a very logical place and would lead them on to where they needed to go. Uh, It's unmistakable, and I'll kind of repeat myself here just a little bit, that when it came time for Moses to die and would no longer be on the scene, God had a man prepared to fill that position. After all, this was the work of God and God's divine plan. Israel, where God would set up his place to be worshipped and eventually where Christ would roam the earth for those 33 years that he lived his life here. Uh, God needed a man that would go over and settle that territory. And where a work is God's work, where a work is God's work, God will provide men to further that work. I am convinced of that. We have a great work to be done, obviously, in in America. We have a great work to be done even here in Sioux Falls. And I'd say to our young people on 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 a special basis tonight, to any young people here tonight, God needs some of you to grow up in a way that would allow you to make good leaders for men that would follow the Lord. God is still training and preparing men And if you look at those who are out in front of you tonight, young people, listen to me. Look at the people out in front of you tonight. Your parents, the the Sunday school teachers, your your pastor, your people in the church here tonight, that they're out in front of you tonight. They're leading the way. But as you know how to follow them, will determine whether or not you'll make a great leader or not. And God would love to develop some strong, godly leaders in the Christian homes tonight and in our city, and in our workplaces. Workplaces are longing for somebody who will stand up and be leader-like. Not just one of the followers that run around and doing what everybody else is doing out behind the building on break time, and you know what I'm talking about. God is looking for leaders tonight. God is looking for people willing to be developed into the kind of leader that he can use. So first of all, uh, would you notice how God had prepared for a change in the leadership. We'll read those two verses again, verses one and two. And I know this my third time, that's okay. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. So 
you can read backwards in the first five books of the Bible and you can find uh, Joshua's name mentioned several times throughout uh, the first five books of Scripture. But God had prepared um, this man in a very special way for this change of leadership. Uh, Joshua, first of all, was prepared in his own mind and in his own consciousness. I, um, I know what it's like to be shoved up into a position when you weren't expecting. Uh, I, I know what it's like for there to, to be a situation where somebody needs to step up and do something, but it was never in your heart and mind to do so. And so, so that somebody is doing something, uh, there have been times you, I have stepped up and tried to take the helm, but it was a rocky road, but we got the job done. But that wasn't the case here. God had praised the Lord, allowed Joshua to get prepared in his own mind and understand this would seem like God might be leading me possibly in this direction. I I look at his life and I see when he had past counsel with Moses and how that had made him familiar with what the ways of God would be and what the will of God was. Joshua watched Moses. I mean, he walked with him right into some very holy places. And he walked with him into some very dangerous places. All the time, I'm convinced, Joshua's eyes were just glancing over at the leader and watching what that man would do and how that man would lead under those circumstances. He wanted to know what would be best to do if he was ever put into a circumstance like that. I would have to say that the men who have affected me the most for the ministry were those men that taught me how to follow God. I... I know a lot of men that know how to direct people's lives. Listen to me. I know a lot of men that know how to direct people's lives. But I know fewer men that know how to to teach me how to have a walk with God and who are leaders. A lot of men know how to give directions. A lot of men... And, and women in the right circumstances know how to make sure a job gets done and to make sure this is done. They know how to tell you to get over here and how to be in, in a certain place. But the best leaders you will ever have are the leaders that will show you how to have a walk with God. Joshua was a man that watched his leader fall down before God. When God wanted to wipe out Israel because of their stubbornness, He watched Moses fall on his face before God and weep and beg that God would would, uh, spare those people and have mercy on them. And I've got an idea. Little Joshua in his youth would stand back and watch him and his heart would be stirred and touched as he would sense there was a spirit of God about that man. And I've got this idea. It affected him in a powerful way. And I think that when Joshua said, if I'm ever going to be a leader, God help me to be the kind of man that knows how to not just direct the lives of men, but to teach them how to have a walk with God. Joshua was a man that had uh, some tremendous training from a man that showed him how to be in touch with God. Those men that have affected my life the most and the things that I feel like I got the most that have helped me the most as a pastor in the ministry have come from men that showed me how to get alone with God and weep before the Lord and beg that God would stir my heart and would do something for God's people. You'll never have a good leader, godly leader, until that man knows how to walk with God. Joshua was that man. And he was a man that wanted to show uh, God's people how to have that same kind of a walk.
Those people that I learned from taught me about the compassion of God and God's sincere desire for me to have fellowship with him. Joshua was prepared in his own mind to be able to lead because of what he learned from Moses. He learned some tremendous things. I mean, if you'll go backwards again and read history, his past victories had given him such confidence in the Lord. I mean, he watched how God did tremendous things in and through the life of Moses. And if you'll remember, hey, everybody remember, remember the battle with Amalek? Moses commanded Joshua to gather up all their men and go out to the battle against Amalek. Amalek was the, uh, was the tribe that kept attacking them from behind. And who was, who was on the backside of uh, the line of Israel? It was the weak, it was the elderly, it was those who were ill, could not keep up in the line, and so they would naturally move them to the back. And so Amalek would sneak up upon them and would, uh, you know, when nobody was really watching... Those weak and sickly people were easy targets and they would attack them and take many of them out. And then when some of the other men would come in, they'd wipe out a few more of those men and then they'd take off running. God, through Moses, um, led Joshua to go out into a battle. And remember what Moses did? How he climbed up and got up and raised his hands. And as long as his hands was raised, Israel was winning. And when they got weak, they began to drop. The Israel began to lose the battle, and so Aaron and Hur sat him down on a rock, and one propped this arm up, another propped this arm up, and I can just see old Joshua turn around to get a glimpse of Moses on the skyline up there, probably the sun behind him, and they can still he could still see his figure, but he saw two arms still raised up in the air, trusting that God was going to do something for those people. And Joshua had such confidence when he knew that the man who was leading his life and giving direction to him still had his hand outreached to God, getting the strength from God that he needed to lead those people. Joshua walked away from that battle and thought, my goodness, uh, God helped me to be a, a leader like that man. He'd learned from his past victories. I remember when I first came to Eastside, I was not prepared to be the pastor of Eastside Baptist Church. I, I remember being under Pastor Henry. Jerry, you can remember Pastor Henry and his leadership. He was, he was a great man. He, he loved the Lord and he was a great preacher. Man, I, I loved his, uh, the way he could preach the word of God. I loved his compassion. I loved his tears when God broke his heart in the pulpit. And I learned from him. I learned from many others. And, uh, and God began to nurture my heart and to prepare me for a day I was here five years as the Christian school teacher, and God began to prepare my heart for what I did not know was going to be the pastor of this church. And he worked in my heart and made some major changes. And by the time Pastor Henry, I can still see the place in the backside of the old building on um, 622 South Sycamore, he come walking up to me and said, uh, Phil, I've got a question I need to ask you. He said, number one, I'm resigning from this church and I'll be leaving and going to start a church in Michigan. And he says, do you want your name submitted to uh, the pulpit committee? And honestly, at least three years prior to that, I would have said, oh, wow, I'm honored that you would ask me, but no way. But by the time I reached that fifth year in my ministry, God had been doing things in my heart. And I have to say, it's it's because of, of a group of men that God sat out in front of me, Pastor Henry being one of those, some good godly men, some, uh, some different uh, conferences and things that I had gone to, and God had worked in my heart and had put confidence in my heart and my mind that I could do uh, what God was 
naturally leading me to do. So first of all, Joshua was preparing in his own mind for this point man position, the new leader of Israel. But Joshua was also prepared in the minds of the people. They had watched this young man like we might do a lot of times maybe in our church watching young men grow up, getting a real desire to serve the Lord and so forth. Maybe uh, uh, us being able to watch some of the assistant pastors that have come in here fresh out of Bible college and uh, how they, uh, you know, those first years when they first come here and I smile and chuckle at them quite a little bit. And then the second year, I don't get as many chuckles in because they're getting smarter. And then about the third year, just boom, God's got his hand on them, ready to move them on out. And uh, we've watched that happen, guys. We've seen how God has prepared those people. I've known most of the time when they've come, boy, we won't have this one for long. <laughs> you can just tell God's hand is on them. God was preparing the hearts of the people for his leadership. They saw how he honored God when all the people were being disobedient. They saw how he wanted to follow God. After all, it was him and Caleb uh, who tried to silence all those, remember those murmurers? Here comes back 12 spies from spying out the promised land. And, and uh, you know, Joshua and Caleb stand up, say, we're well able to wipe these guys out. Let's go take them, uh, take them over right now. And, and 10 of them said, yeah, it's a good land. And here's the big grape pods. But we can't, uh, we're not going to be able to do that. And Joshua stood up, guys, we can do this. And I realized most of those guys were wiped out from that point on over the next 40 years, but his testimony still lived on in the hearts and the minds of the leaders of Israel. And the, and the men and the people in Israel had their own hearts prepared for Joshua's leadership. Uh, they had seen how he was openly honored by Moses. You're here in Joshua. Go back to the book of Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy, that's just a couple pages, by the way. Deuteronomy 31 Do you have a um, title at the top of that chapter? <clears throat> Mine says, uh, Moses charges Joshua and Israel. And I want you to drop down with me to verses 7 and 8. <clears throat> and he's continuing to talk to him. Verse 7, And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him, Listen to this, In the sight of all Israel. Be strong and of a good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers uh, to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee, he will be with thee, he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee, fear not, neither be dismayed. But I, I want you to notice particularly in verse 7, in the sight of all Israel, that command was given. And so... Uh, all of Israel was able to watch and feel confidence in their hearts and minds that this would be the next man that could step up into this place when Moses is gone. What is so good to my heart and is to notice as there was such a momentum that was moving along, God had helped them to wipe out some of the armies on um, uh, see the east side of the River Jordan and uh, they're ready to move on and God's work is ready to uh, to continue and wouldn't it be something if they just Moses died and they stood around for a year or two trying to figure out who's going to lead us but the work never halted the plan of God still moved on because God had prepared a man to take that position 
Then secondly tonight, I want, us, I want you to notice the sign of God's continuing plan. To know that this is God's continuing plan, there is a chain of qualified men. Let me say it again. The sign of God's continuing plan is a chain, unbroken chain of qualified men. I don't know what it would be like to lead children, uh, a whole nation, like Moses did for over 40, well, 40 years at least. And to get right up to the promised land and be able to climb up into the mountain and look across and be able to see that great promised land out there and for God to say to him, but Moses, because of one mistake that you made, when you smote the rock instead of speaking to it like I, I told you to do so, you are not going to be allowed to go on over into the promised land. I, I don't know what it would be like to have heard those words, but here's what I know for sure tonight. Moses was not supposed to be the man to lead them on over to the next part of the journey. Moses wasn't supposed to be the man to take them on over into the promised land. Moses was not the man for the future. He had been the best man for the past. There's no doubt about that. I mean, God had prepared him for leadership in the schools of Egypt. And who better to go and deal with an Egyptian pharaoh than a young man that was trained in their own schools and know what their culture and everything is like. God had a man for the past. God had given him a heart for the, oppressor, uh, the oppression of the Hebrews. And he watched while his own people were being uh, whipped by the taskmasters. And his heart was broken watching his people. And God prepared his heart to be able to lead them out of this oppressive state. God had trained him how to be a shepherd on the backside of the desert. Remember that. When he took off running because they figured out that he had killed one of the uh, Egyptian taskmasters and he took off running. And God used that time up in the wilderness watching the sheep to give him a shepherd's heart for the people. Moses was a man for the leadership of the past. But God had prepared a Joshua who would be best to stand now before the Canaanites that were now in front of them. That was not supposed to be Moses. This was supposed to be a Joshua. Joshua was a man that God had had in mind for over 40 years, and it was no mistake that he was the next man in succession after Moses. Everybody knew that. Well, I, I, I love these little kind of statements, and there's just another one you're somewhat familiar with. Where God has a plan, God always has a man. And it's true. And God had a plan for the other side of the Jordan River. But it wasn't supposed to be Moses. This was going to be Joshua. Can I just give a wise note here? Uh, young people, I, I really would love it if you could just listen especially. But all of us, this will do, I believe, all of us some good to be reminded of some things we already know. But can I say him again? Just because a man finds himself in a very successful position in life, you cannot forget those who plowed the field before you to get you to where you are today. Somebody set you up. Somebody was out in the field pulling the weeds and plowing it and getting it ready for a good harvest and you come walking along here's the ears of corn all ripe and ready to go and you're standing around saying man uh, I'm doing a pretty good job look at all this stuff that is just going so good for me somebody laying back in a grave put all their blood sweat and tears into something I would just say to us here tonight guys just because 
Joshua is going to go walking into the promised land where all that milk and honey flowed because of how uh, fruitful the land was and so forth. Just because uh, he could walk into a land and find it all prepared and ready to go, uh, he better not forget that there was a Moses that was behind him that man, spent those 40 years to bring all those people to the place where they were and nurtured him to the place somebody paid a price to get you where you are tonight. Do you good to remember that. Look backwards just a little bit at those men or those women who were such tremendous examples in your life and helped nurture you and bring you along to the place of success that you are. Sometimes we just reap a great harvest of what somebody else planted and worked the field for. Lastly tonight, number three, God chooses men according to the work that needs to be done. It's something you can see here in Scripture. So to be able to drive out these Canaanites, a soldier was needed. You think about a time in history where God knew 3,000 souls would be ready to, to be harvested. And who did he raise up for that? An apostle Peter. And for the great mission of being able to reach out into Asia Minor and then down into southern Europe, a fiery apostle Paul was chosen by God. God chose a man ready for that position, best to fit that position. And for a testimony that wouldn't bow to any God's except to the one and only true God, it took three unbending Hebrew men, you remember the story like I do, and to fight a 10-foot giant that had a whole Israelite army shaking in their sandals, God chose a little shepherd boy that knew how to trust a big God. Joshua was a man who not only knew how to swing a sword and drive a spear, But he was a man with one of the greatest military minds in Scripture. And he was a wise choice for the job. God chooses men according to the work to be done. You can see that as you work your way through Scripture. Something else concerning God's choice for Moses' successor, and I'm going to be mentioning this from time to time, is the men who God chooses for areas of leadership are men who have good fellowship. The men that God chooses to put in some tremendous positions, listen to me, are men that knew how to follow somebody that was out in front of them. Good leaders were good followers. And when an entire nation was lobbying to stay out of a land that was filled with the, you know, the promised land that was filled with giants, Joshua was still wanting to follow Moses' leadership when everybody else except for him and Caleb was bailing out. He was still a man that was willing to follow leadership. When Amalek had attacked Israel, we talked about them. When they had attacked Israel one too many times, Joshua was immediately on to the plans that Moses had given to rout Amalek and to wipe them out. <clears throat> Godly leadership qualities are carved one obedient step at a time, guys, as you learn to follow those who God has placed over you. Years ago, I I read this example, and I loved it so much. Let me read it again. S.I. McMillan, in his book, uh, None of These Diseases, please listen to this. This is classic. I love this. He tells a story about a young woman 
She wanted to go to college, but her heart sank when she read the question on the application blank that asked this, are you a leader? Being both honest and conscientious, she wrote, no, and returned the application expecting the worst. To her surprise, she received this letter from the college, and here's what it says. I love this. Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year, our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. (laughs) Everybody else was the greatest leader in the world, buddy. She was honest and said, I'm really not the best leader, but I can make a good follower. And I'm willing to learn. To our young people here tonight, boys and girls, young people, listen. I'm just going to say this from my heart. Please hear what I'm going to say. If you have a hard time following those who God has placed over you, trust me, you will never make a good leader. If you're having a really hard time being obedient to what? A mom and a dad, a Sunday school teacher, somebody that maybe some of you have a job and they've tried to give you direction and you have a difficult time with following that leader. And you could give me a dozen reasons why that person doesn't deserve your followship. You could tell me why they're not so smart and why they they don't always have a good attitude themselves. You've got all these reasons. I understand that. Guys, listen to me. Set it aside. If you can't follow the people who God has placed over you, then you will never make a good leader. You may be placed in a position of leadership And somebody may be looking to you and expecting that you'll provide good leadership. But when the pressure comes on you and you need to know how to lead a group of people behind you, you will have never followed to know how to lead a group of followers. I would challenge you tonight, every one of us here tonight, adults and all of us, Uh, You have jobs, you have somebody in some type of a leadership position over you. If there's some kind of, please hear this, if you've got some kind of spirit inside of you that you can't even explain why, but it's hard for you to follow somebody that's giving you commands and direction and leadership, then I'm telling you, guys, you're stuck where you're at or you're destined to even go backwards. God is not looking for men or women who are in the background, the complainers and the gripers and those that get involved with everybody else criticizing the leader. God doesn't want more of those. They're a dime a dozen. God is looking for the man that will stand up and say, I don't need to have a part in this. I want to be involved in somebody that knows how to follow a leader. God is looking for that man. I'll tell you this, if you can't follow somebody here on earth, listen to me, if you can't follow somebody here on earth as your leader, you're not going to be able to follow a God in heaven who you can't see. No, but God loves me and I I, I want to follow him and I'll give him my greatest allegiance. But what you don't understand is you don't have the character that can uphold that commitment. All follow God wholly. And I promise you, if you can't follow those around you in a church, in a home, in a, in a work setting, you're going to reach a place in your life where you're going to have trouble following the Lord. It just works that way. 
You're going to have trouble with people all around you because you did not have the humility about you to learn how to follow. Every person in this room here tonight is being prepared for your next step in life. None of us have reached a place where we need to be for the Lord. You need to continue to grow and and all the way back to George and Ruby and uh, the, uh, the folks that are more mature. How, how's that a good word? Uh, more mature in here tonight. Uh, we've, we never reach a place where we are supposed to finally be until we step into heaven. Even the Apostle Paul, I mean, that great leader of, of all time, in my personal opinion, has said, I have not counted myself to have apprehended, guys. He's, he's saying, I know my, the time of my departure is at hand, but I've not reached a place in my life where I need to be. My question to us tonight is, are you living the kind of life that would enable God to shape you into what you need to be when that next step is placed in front of you? Are you living the kind of life that would allow that? Do you have a teachable spirit? Do you have a willingness to follow or do you portray this, I already know what to do attitude, I don't need you to tell me what to do. Sadly, you'll be followed on the back row of everything in life. You'll be the last in line or near the end. But every workplace is looking for a man or a woman that knows how to say, yes, sir, even when it doesn't feel good. God's looking for the man and the woman here tonight. Now, whatever God says to you, yes, sir, whatever you want. I'm willing to follow. I'm willing to do. If you just would, just put your hand on me. Just let me know that God's hand is leading me in whatever I'm doing right now. I'll be faithful to follow the Lord. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.